Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity, recorded in the pod at White City Place. I'm David Michon. On today's episode, the architecture of North Korea. As guarded as the country is about itself, and as careful about who and what they let in, there is a certain pride taken in what they've built. So found our two guests, both who've recently authored books on the subject. They first visited Pyongyang together four years ago, and what follows is a bit of a reunion between them, and the telling of a number of quite insightful observations and unusual anecdotes. Seeing, for example, a model of Sir Terry Farrell's MI6 building in London next to the Great Pyramids of Egypt as sources of design inspiration, or spending a meal singing Italian communist songs with a local architect. Uh, I'm Oliver Wainwright. I'm the architecture and design critic of The Guardian. I'm Cristiano Bianchi. I'm an architect, founder of Studio Zag, and I do architectural photography as my collateral activity. Oliver is architecture and design critic for The Guardian, having first trained as an architect working for OMA, MUF, and the Greater London Authority. He visited North Korea in 2015 with our other guest, subsequently publishing Inside North Korea with Tashin, described as an architectural journey behind the closed doors of the world's most secretive country, and featuring his words and photographs. Those same photographs have been widely exhibited, including in London, Moscow, Seoul, Paju, and at this year's St. Etienne Biennale. Cristiano is an architect and founder of Studio Zag, with offices in Tuscany and Beijing. His recent work in architectural photography has focused on the social and urban transformation occurring in Asia, and this year co-authored Model City Pyongyang, published by MIT Press, which, similar to Oliver's book, is a photographic journey through the architecture of North Korea's model utopia. So maybe we could start by talking about how we met. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> which actually. was in a strange little room in Beijing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was the brief before the day before our first trip to to North Korea. So this is how the three of us we met. There was also Christina, which is the other author of the book that uh, that we did. And then, yeah, I I remember the there was a, we got instructions like uh, what how we should behave and or not behave there, like uh, the fact that we couldn't bring a Bible for for example. That yeah. was very dangerous. And hide any crucifix jewelry that you happen to have on you. I think neither of us yeah, did, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. but any religious symbolism is, uh-huh. is not allowed to be brought into the country. Um, it's funny, because yeah. I'd had the same briefing actually a year before, because I'd tried to go to North Korea um, on a uh, previous yes. trip, and I'd got my visa and got as far as Beijing, and then Kim Jong-un, the, the dear leader, just decided to close the border and cancel all foreigners' visas because of Ebola. It was when the Ebola outbreak was happening. So I'd kind of tried to go there once already and, and dramatically failed, so... It meant we got to go together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a great trip. It was a, it was a great trip, and uh, I, I remember the first impact with the city, which was uh, this like um, impression of uh, not knowing very well what was real and what was not. You know, we were all impressed the first night. Yeah, I think what struck me first and, and totally like, unexpectedly was the color, because you know you have this preconception mm. of it being a very kind of grey. Soviet, concrete, concrete yeah. yeah, marching blocks, everything looking kind of drab and, and crumbling. And remember when we got to the top of the Juche Tower, which is this amazing kind of observation tower in the center of the city, you look out and it's just this kind of pastel panorama, isn't it? Everything in like baby blue and pink and terracotta and yellow. And I think it's probably one of the most colorful cities that I've ever been to, which yeah. I was totally not expecting. And uh, and the very green green one, the amount yeah. of parks they have and, and greenery in the city is very 
interesting. And yeah, we've been asked many times, you know, whether Pyongyang was beautiful or not, and also why did we go there? Yeah. So we got to think about it, and this is, uh, I think, it's the the key point is the fascination that you get, you know, such a different reality because of all these reasons. Yeah. What was your motivation? Was there one particular thing that you'd uh, kind of seen that made you think this is a place I, I uh, really want to check out for myself? Uh, the beginning was just a curiosity for what I, I, I was thinking it was a different reality, and it actually was, because I've been living in China for eight years. So I think that was already, you know, uh, the demonstration that a different way of thinking is actually possible. So yeah. then I wanted to see more because that was really so. It was curiosity at the beginning. Then, then after the first trip, when we decided to start the project, it was something different because we've been discussing with other people about making a project there. And over there, I think all of us who participated in this kind of projects, it was um, the motivation was a little bit like um, you know breaking the isolation. Like the isolation is not good for doesn't benefit anyone. Mm. So this kind of project, like cultural photography or artistic project, can open a little window mm. towards this reality. Otherwise, the media will show you only. Like uh, I don't know, soldiers marching and yeah, the parades things. of missiles yeah, parades, in Kimil yeah. Square. There are actually people living there and yeah. kids going to school. Yeah, I remember what first piqued my interest. It was actually at the Venice Biennale in 2014, ah, amazing, yeah. um, which was when the Korean Pavilion for the first time exhibited the work of North Koreans alongside mm -hmm. South Koreans, and it had been curated by Nick Bonner, who founded yeah. Choreo Tours, the company that, that took us both to. North Korea. And he'd given a brief to North Korean architects. Do you remember? He'd said, imagine mm -hmm. what the future of tourism might be like in North Korea. And it was this amazing like retro sci-fi vision, yeah. wasn't it? A kind of flying hover ship hotels and very like Dan Dare or Jetson style architecture. And he said to me at the time, he was like, to be honest, this isn't that different from what they're actually building there at the moment. And I couldn't tell yeah, if he was joking, but that's what made me think, right, I need to go and see it for myself, work out if this uh, kind of crazy sci-fi architecture is true. And I guess it yeah. is, in a way. <laughs> Some just, of it. Just, yeah, absolutely. Stunning. And I, I just realized maybe I was influenced by this uh, work of this Korean architect for my photography, because mm. that's actually probably one of the reasons why I choose to use this, like, colorful skies yeah let's talk a bit uh, my, about your images because you've you've oh. kind of doctored them slightly haven't you they're not just pure uh, images as you've taken them you've you've manipulated them somehow yes which is something that i never do as a photographer but this time there was something uh, there at the beginning we wanted to we wanted to establish a relationship with their artistic representations because they always like use these pastel colors in their propaganda posters mm. or uh, special skies behind the leaders for example they mm. actually use the Sky as a as a way to turn the real into ideal somehow. So I wanted to have this relationship, and it was very saturated at the beginning. Then I started to desaturate because then the concept slightly changed, and so the the um, the gradient sky is actually a way to try to render the this feeling that you have when you go there that mm. you don't really know what is real and what is not. So in these pictures, actually, the sky is not real, and, and but what is in the in the actual picture is sometimes much more surreal than the sky. The sky could be real. So <laughs> this feeling of fictional reality and confusion between what is real and what is not yeah. is what a, a Western, let's say, a, an outsider get 
when when you it feels when, like when you go when, there, when you're yeah. there, doesn't it? Like each piece yeah. of the city has been designed as a kind of stage set to to direct Absolutely. your attention, and it's always to to direct your view to the leader, isn't it? There's that always is it. either a yeah. statue or a painting or a mosaic of one of the great leaders at the end of a kind of monumental axis or at the end of a series of marching columns. So it's almost like walking through a series of of um, sets from a socialist realist opera, isn't it? You know, it really mm. kind of is, is overwhelming and um, make, makes you this, feel very small indeed. Absolutely. There is an ideological um, content in every, in every part of the city. It's like uh, the city itself was designed like as a, let's say, a manifesto, like to, to teach people about the, their ide- ideology. Do, do you remember we've been like reading the book on the bus during the first trip? There's this book written by the second leader, uh, Kim Jong-il, which mm. is on architecture. It's actually uh, an essay where he explains uh, how, how the, the, the city should be built and all of the rules. And we actually started to find that these rules were actually followed by yeah. the architects in building the city. Yeah, I've got a couple of quotes here from it. It's, um, it, it has a particular chapter about the importance of the placement of the leader. So he says, yeah. the leader's image must always be placed in the center of the architectural space. Going on to say, architectural space must be composed to ensure the leader's image dominates all elements of the space and that all architectural components throw the leader's image into bold relief. This will help people look at the leader's image at all times and inspire them with the pride and consciousness that they are happy in the leader's embrace. embrace and it, yeah. it almost works. You remember as we were going around, you <laughs> know, we were always looking for the smiling leader and it was like this kind of omnipresent, cheery face beaming down at us. And I was trying to think if the, the Kim regime are maybe the only dictators to be presented always smiling. Because you, know, you, mm, you think mm. of these other kind of strong men figures, you know, Stalin very, and others around the world, and they're always very fierce and, and huge, great frown in their statues. But the Kims always have a, a great cheery beam, don't they, and absolutely. rosy cheeks. And it does, after a while, you find yourself, you know, looking for, for the smiling Kim in every building that you go to. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is quite special. I still remember the, uh, the, 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 the statue, do you remember, at the entrance of the, of the water park? Mm. There was this, um, how do you say... Uh, the waxwork. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly, exactly. And also with a like a gradient sky and this music, and you will feel like it was real, and it was about moving and you know shaking your hand. It was so in, impressive. Yeah, yeah, and you had to bow down before the waxwork of yeah, um, Kim Jong Il before going into the water park, yeah, which in yeah, every yeah. other way to me was very much like a Western water park, wasn't it? These kind yeah, of colourful yeah, flumes and wave machines, and and what seemed to be just regular families having a great time. A lot of people have asked me, like, oh, the the people in your pictures, are they all actors, you know, that are made to kind of go around using the metro stations? And it's nonsense, isn't it? Like, it's a a, a regular city in many respects. Um, But the contrast between, you know, the scenes you see on the streets where everybody is very serious and just heading where they're going and not, like, stopping by. There are no no cafes, no no shops. Mm. Everything is so serious. And then when you get into the the fun park or the water park, it's like everybody getting crazy and having fun together. It was the contrast Inside and outside the fun park was, yeah, that's true. So maybe I could ask you a bit about your different trips because I obviously only went once. You know, we had that intensive kind of ten-day, non-stop minibus tour of every single building imaginable. But then you've been back what three times since then? Three times, yeah, Yeah. four times in total. So how did your experiences change over those different visits? The first one we do it was actually the funniest (laughs) because the others was basically Christina and I. We were alone with with one one guide, one guard, and 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 the driver. So we had our list of buildings to shoot and people to interview and so it was kind of 
militarized experience. So it was not that because the first time we were considered like tourists, and then right. at that time it was like kind of a delegation. But it was it was interesting because we we got to meet like professors at the architecture university and students and interviewing people, and uh, and we had very interesting like uh, meetings also with the people who organized our trip. I remember in right. November 2016 we were there during the American elections, and uh, one morning we had breakfast with these three guys and we've been like talking and discussing about the American elections. They knew everything and Trump was just elected that day. They so knew before you was, did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, because we, we, we didn't know. It was, uh, you know, we didn't have a TV in the hotel and nothing. So they, they, they gave us the, the news about the American election. They, they knew everything. They do have a bit more access to the outside world than we're led to believe, don't they? That's the impression I got, you know, because you're, you're told it's completely cut off, you know, no internet, no news, no anything. But I got a sense there was, you know, there was a circulation of outside media, I don't know whether it's through these illicit USB sticks or, you know, they do have access to more, I think. And particularly with architecture, we were taken to the Pektusan Architecture Academy, that yeah. kind of state bureau where all of the main projects are designed. And we'd been told before, you know, everything was all just inspired by a career and the history of career. And they had an entire gallery, do you remember, um, of mm -hmm. foreign precedents of buildings from around the world. And it was like the Great Pyramids in Egypt, um, the kind of temples in Petra, uh, even Terry Farrell's um, MI6 building here in London. You know, all their precedents were these kind of monumental, um, kind of imposing symmetrical structures so it does seem they get inspiration from from outside it might not be yeah. the kinds of precedents that you would uh, expect <laughs> i think uh, yeah I, th i think architecture is not very I mean, politically sensitive topics for for them they're actually very proud of their architecture they mm. want to know more about the outer world in architecture so that that made our project also quite easier than than other projects because right. they we, we actually had to follow of course many rules but f following rules is part of the experience if you decide to do something in north korea so don't crop the leaders or don't you know don't uh, crop also the, the the slogans by the leaders did these kind of things and we went through the uh, censorship they checked all mm. of my pictures but in the end they didn't cancel anything that the book was kind yeah. of accepted I in that way so my tashin which published my book decided at some point they wanted to put a statue of uh, Kim Il-sung on the cover. And uh, I explicitly yeah, told I them you know, that the, the leader can't be either crops or kind of seen to be used for promotion. So it's fine if that image had been inside the book, but putting it on the front in, in the eyes of the North Koreans was just this blasphemous thing to do. It's far too kind of commercial. Um, and when Tashin heard that, that made them want to do it even more. They were like, oh, well, we're Tashin, we're a kind of controversial publisher, we're not going to change it. And I had to plead and plead with them. Because, um, you know, as yeah, you know, these things, I, they have I an impact on the local guides, don't they? And the relationship of Koryo yes. with yes. North Korea, you do have to be very um, careful and, and kind of sensitive with how you do these things and yeah that almost yeah. caused a, a big problem the, yeah the, the guides are really responsible for for what we do so we need to be careful and stick to the rules yeah. and uh yeah, yeah, yeah. also uh also i remember there was a yeah in, in one of my pictures actually the leader in the end of the tunnel of the subway very far away there was a picture of the leader i didn't notice it was so small and the head was covered by the chandelier so yeah. that was a problem i have to, to be taken out i had to cancel the entire picture of the leader right. <laughs> but i didn't actually notice but they would they, they were just looking there because yeah. they knew there was 
the picture of the leader there. It's so small in the picture, just one pixel. Yeah. And there was yeah. that rule about not taking photographs of anything under construction. Yes. Which, yes, yes. And I couldn't quite Nothing. tell. I think the reason they told us that was that they want everything to look finished and, yeah. and perfect. But I wonder if it's mm. also that they're slightly worried about their construction techniques being um, mm. exposed, given the kind of slightly <laughs> primitive nature of the, the concrete shutter work and the formwork. Possibly, um, possibly. But it'd be interesting but, to, to document the construction process, you know, if, if we were allowed mm, to photograph mm, that side of things. But I think this is also part of their reaction because most of the people there who just want to, they, they go there looking for the evil, you know, they want to take picture of what is like kind of strange or, you know, underdeveloped mm. or something, you know, looking for the evil and they, they really don't like it. Even 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 the common people, you know, they would say, I've been talking to the them and to the guys, you know, if I, if I go to Italy, I would just take picture of beautiful things. Why, why do you want to take picture of this you know mm. this is not finished or this is not not in good state even even when you take picture of the people you need to ask permission yeah and they would just you know adjust their shirt or hair or something they need to yeah make they, sure they, they have this, best. this sense of dignity that you know everything should be you know yeah. shown in a certain way yeah. so this is uh yeah probably a political but also a cultural thing yeah you're listening to thought starters recorded in the pod at white city place in conversation are Guardian architecture and design critic and author of Inside North Korea, Oliver Wainwright, and architect and co-author of Model City Pyongyang, Cristiano Bianchi. I was interested, you mentioned, I think, one of the, the in fact, the hotel that we stayed in the first time, the Corio Hotel, the Corio, which is yes. this amazing kind of twin towers joined by a bridge mm-hmm. uh, with rotating restaurants on the top, which don't, well, one of them didn't really rotate, I don't think. Um, but I, I loved the interior because it was this kind of time warp, almost like a Wes Anderson film set. And I think you said yeah. when you went yeah. back, Gone. it was destroyed and they <laughs> kind of modernized it modernized. in the way it they're modernizing like all of these Soviet interiors. Chinese interior now, everything is gone. Yeah. It's such a shame. So I suppose some of the attraction you know, that, that draws you to North Korea as an outsider is that it has been preserved because it's kind of incubated from the usual kinds of commercial forces that, that redevelop cities and that see historic interiors bulldozed. And, and because of its lack of economic development, a lot of those interiors have been kind of accidentally preserved. But I guess now preserved, it's yeah. changing, isn't it? Yeah, They're yeah, ripping yeah. out anything that reminds them of the Soviet era and replacing it with these kind of Chinese white clean tile surfaces and, and vinyl and yeah, um, instead of the terrazzo floors and mosaics yeah yeah, yeah, yeah this is another thing in, in the last trips we this was an extra motivation like documenting the the original interiors before they 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 are dis- destroyed or renovated because this is uh, do you remember the the architect who studied in Italy we had this discussion with him yeah. he, he was introduced to us as the architect who designed the airport and in the news in the world there was they 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 said he was uh, he had been killed by the by the government because they didn't like the airport yeah. and then they introduced us to the architect and he was there he was alive so this was from a, the dead. <laughs> yeah exactly and this architect has been studying in Italy for, 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 for five years, I think, in Rome, mm-hmm. so he could speak Italian. And we started this discussion about re- renovation because in Italy, I mean, we, we have experience about renovation of monuments and things. So he'd been learning a method in Italy and he wanted to apply there, but there was no way, actually, right. for, for them, when you, when you renovate it, you literally make it new and there was no way to apply it. And then we started to speak in Italian, do you remember? I remember and the, the guides got very alarmed. Very, didn't they? very nervous. They, they, yeah, they stopped because they couldn't on. control the content of what we were saying actually and they said at the time you can't uh, tell anyone that this guy studied in Italy you know there's been no yeah, outside yeah. influence on the architecture of North Korea it's all homegrown yeah. so yeah, um, yeah that's, maybe that's one rule that we broke 
On the second <laughs> trip, I asked for him. I wanted to t- t- interview him, right. but they sent another one. <laughs> and really? They said yes, and oh, then no. they sent another so one. Maybe he was killed after yeah. all. No, <laughs> I don't know. They said he was helping for uh, for some flooding in the north of the country. Yeah. Okay. And then, but, but then they sent another one. There were actually five Korean really? architects living in the same apartment in Rome, studying architecture all together in the oh, same wow. years. There were five around. So the guy you interviewed had also studied in Italy. Yeah, yeah, another one, right. another one. I met another one. We went to a pizza place. Interesting. Where they made a kimchi pizza for us, and we ended up singing old uh, Italian communist song with them. <laughs> they knew the words in Italian. It was kind of excellent. Experiences. Yeah, I was surprised about that level of exchange because I think it was it last year or two years ago the Architectural Association in London had a visiting school in Pyongyang. Yeah. You know, so it's students from here going over to to kind of collaborate with architecture students in North Korea. And I remember they told me the Korean students were incredibly technically accomplished. They could kind of whip up a rendering or a 3D model in seconds in a way that maybe the Western students couldn't. But then if, if you ask them, so how do you imagine the future of this neighborhood? They were kind of paralyzed because it's right, like, well, yeah. I mean, the leader is going to it's decide clear, this yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. You know, it's not for us to, <laughs> to say what should be there. And I was interested, you said you've been also working with some students there and, and or you're planning a workshop. We are planning the workshop. They actually ask us, the, the university, to go there and do something with them. They, they, they really want to know more about the outer, the, the outer world. And uh, so the, the, and then in the same trip, they also asked me to bring like books, green architecture, like sustainable architecture books, because apparently the leader wrote something about it. So right. they want to make this green architecture revolution in the country. Great. So we, we started this project to have like, yeah, Korean and foreigner uh, students working together on this new model city, like green model city on an island in the river, which is just behind the atom shaped like sci- sci-fi center. Yeah, center mm. yeah. So this would be the next uh, probably step of the project if we, if we can. Yeah. yeah. Because it is already quite a green city, isn't it? Do you remember, you know, it, it seemed like a kind of garden city when you were at the top of the tower, just looking out at the number of parks and the kind of uh, riverside promenade. And I think that dates back to a particular planning policy that Kim Il-sung came up with, something like only 25% of the city could be developed and the rest mm, of it had mm. to be for open space. Yes, yes. Um, and I think a lot of people would be surprised at just how kind of pleasant it is as an urban environment to walk around. You know, yeah, it feels clean, much greener than London. Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that, that's true. This is very unexpected. And that was the reaction because I had an exhibition of some of my photographs in South Korea. Yes. And I was really shocked, actually. I was expecting people to come and, and be quite, you know, almost offended by someone showing uh, North Korean architecture. But they were fascinated. And they all said, wow, it looks so clean and so organized compared to Seoul. Because they're used to this kind of visual cacophony of, of you know, advertising on every surface and, yeah. and no real sense of planning anymore in, in Seoul. And so seeing Pyongyang, you know, with these axial boulevards and very organized city blocks, they were really amazed and I think a little bit envious of, uh, of quite how neat everything looked in Pyongyang. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was yeah. shocked by that reaction. Yeah, 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 and it's true, but it's um, the contrast between the city and the and the, the landscape around. You know, when, when we got outside from the city, there was a huge difference. It mm. was really uh, looking almost empty, and uh, you know, the, the difference was very, very. Did you see much more? Because when on our trip the first time, I remember we just had, took a bus from Pyongyang down to Kaesong, so you could just yeah. see out of the windows, you know, these kind of crumbling concrete apartment blocks and, and very 
severe levels of poverty, you know, rusting electricity pylons mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. Did you have a chance to see much more of that on your no, on the trip? No, we focused so it... on Pyongyang. Okay, and yeah. the next trip was the the idea. The next, yeah, the next step probably will go around in the in the country. Yeah, and it uh, really is a bubble, the, isn't it, Pyongyang? It's a kind of showcase city, I guess. It is. For the, it is a showcase city. Yes, but it's also amazing, you know, how they could achieve this, and also, uh, you know, for such an isolated country for so many years, you know, they're so proud when they show you what they did alone and so on. It's actually uh, pretty amazing. And uh, Pico Ayer, for example, who wrote the uh, preface for an amazing preface for for our book, is pointing out, you know, what what they could do, actually, if they were given opportunities of freedom, Mm. because the achievement of this country were very, very amazing. After the country was completely destroyed, completely, in in the first, like, 20 years, they were more developed than the South. Yeah, it was richer, they, wasn't it? Than they South rebuilt Korea. the country yeah. at an incredible speed, and they mm. were they, they were much much more developed than the South until the eighties, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, the standard of living was was incredibly high, wasn't it? And when you look at these buildings, you can tell actually the quality of materials in those buildings built immediately after the war, so in the kind of late 1950s and 60s, is very high, isn't it? The kind of, it is, it is. You know, granite columns holding up the um, green ceramic tiled roofs of things like the, the cinema and the uh, Moran Bong Hall, you know, which were all designed very much to reflect kind of Korean characteristics, weren't yes, they? the octagonal yes, columns yes, reflecting yes. the ancient um, Koryo temples, I think, and the, the rooftops, again, yeah, referencing yeah. that style of architecture. Yeah. So it was a very conscious kind of nation-building yeah. um, program, wasn't it, after the war? Yeah, their original architecture with Korean characteristics. Right? Yeah. But you can still like distinguish like periods, like that was the postmodern, let's say, then there was the more brutalist. But w- what is uh, nice, all of these things are keeping are kept together by one vision, you know. This is why we call the book like Model City, mm. because after after the, the, the destruction of the war, it was built from scratch. Yeah. And then, you know, other model city have been like super Posed with other urban fabrics or modified later, but this it was developing continuity under one ideological vision, which is the Jewish architecture. Yeah, so yeah. this is very readable. You know, everything is so so clear in the in the urban planning. It's probably the only city in the world, I guess, that's had the same ideology driving urban development since the beginning. In, in continuity, because yeah. it hasn't. You know, it, obviously, you can visit kind of post-Soviet cities and, and see what the Soviet plan was like and how it's changed. Um, you know, mm-hmm. since the, the kind of fall. Um, but yeah, I suppose a... Pyongyang is still driven by that Juche ideology, isn't it? So it's still Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il's grand vision for the place. Uh, or would you say Kim Jong-un is, is adapting it now? yes, yeah. I'm very curious about it. You know, also this, this kind of a total planning is also like a prohibited dream of every architect, probably, <laughs> you not know, to design a city in a way where everything is planned and yeah. organized. So it's kind of fascinating and evil in the, in, in the same way. <laughs> and uh, But uh, yeah. I, th- I think there is a slightly a new direction in architecture, no? right. as, you, as you pointed out in your text for the, that you wrote for our book. Mm. Uh, the, the, the new buildings recently built in the last maybe six, seven years by Kim Jong-un are quite different now. Well, I I mentioned how he's keeping this idea of the kind of Korean motifs, but translating it into a very like modern futuristic Mm -hmm. form of architecture. So a lot of the new towers on Ryongyong Street are octagonal in form, aren't they, to reference the ancient octagonal columns. They they talk about buildings being shaped like an intellectual's brush because the brush is the third 
symbol of the um, the Workers' Party. They have to hammer and sickle like many other communist countries, and then the intellectuals calligraphy brush. You know, because unlike Chinese communism, they they kind of embrace the intellectual as part of the the yeah. new um, new communist man. Um, so, so they are they're consciously using those motifs and the colours as well. I think they're using that kind of minty green colour in the facades, which dates back, you know, centuries on the Korean Peninsula. If you look at um, ancient Korean ceramics, they're often that kind of minty green, the mm-hmm. celadon um, colour, and that's now being used in in the architecture, being contrasted with pink, which. Again, if you look at like the hanbok, the, the Korean traditional dress, it's often complementary colours, isn't it? Of like a pink dress with a turquoise yes, jacket, exactly. and that's now being translated into the, the contemporary architecture. So it's it is fascinating. Yeah. And they keep painting the buildings in this in this pastel colours. It looks like a candy shop now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's it's very it's very. It's, it's, I think we could learn something from their use of color because yeah. even in London, you know, there's a bit of a revival of of color with the the reemergence of uh, of kind of postmodern design, but it's still a pretty drab place, I would say, color wise. I think we could uh, we could do it with a bit of yeah. Pyongyang color over here. So somehow for for them, it's like giving to the people what the people want. The people like colors, we give them colors. <laughs> On the other side, it seems like they want the people to you know to get like. Kind of an escape from reality, you know, somehow. Yeah, yeah, you I described feel it like as, um, you want to have uh, this image of prosperity. And, yeah, you know. it's almost like kind of architectural anesthetic, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's like infantilizing Possibly. the population by these very kind of saccharine, um, you know, kindergarten colors. Mm-hmm. Um, even walking into buildings for adults, you know, they feel very much like they've been designed for toddlers in <laughs> these kind of mm-hmm. candy color palettes and cartoonish yeah. forms now. Uh, but I'd be really interested to see where it goes next because I was hearing from some people that the emergence of of kind of privately funded urban development is beginning. I, I mean, they couldn't quite get to the bottom of how this was happening, but they were saying kind of senior officials or, or you know, the, the emerging middle class known as the donju, the, the masters of money, are somehow yeah. managing to fund their own developments. And mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be really interested to see what you know it's, what that turns uh, into it's happening it's changing i mean they don't they don't say it but there are and we cannot call them re- reforms but slowly it is changing you see many people with the mobile phones and many more cars than before and there are supermarkets and private enterprises are somehow kind of allowed here mm. and there there is an interesting thing about architecture you remember the the kiosk mm, because uh, yeah. actually over there there are no shops there are no commercial activities just uh, just the the, the 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 state ones or maybe the few supermarkets but there are no shops around or cafe mm. and no flower shop or something so this function is being like located in this like temporary kiosk very colorful in the shape of a penguin or in the shape yeah, of yeah. Uh, an, ex- an, an hexagon or something a bit like the very podcast colorful, booth that yeah. Yeah, in right like, like this one actually, <laughs> and they and they are placed everywhere in the city. And the contrast between this like toy shape, like kiosk, and the, the you know the the, the 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 sober and concrete city is very is very is very interesting. They, they are like um, how to say pioneer piece of small architecture which right. are uh, you know bringing shops and commercial activities around in the city like in a, yeah, in, a, yeah. in, a in a kind of a temporary way but you know do you get a sense they're also so designed this is, by this central Pectusan Academy these kiosks or are they maybe designed by other to us but they didn't want to take the responsibility of the penguin I think so they didn't <laughs> say anything <laughs> and where do you see it going next because I, I suppose one you know I'm, I'm eternally optimistic about North Korea and, mm. and, and where it's 
going. I think that was partly why I did the book to kind of show people a, a slightly different side to what we usually see in the yeah. media. But the fact that, that Pyongyang and Seoul have announced this kind of joint bid to host the 2032 Olympic Games, I, I think is an incredible sign. Because when we were there for the first time, they just renovated the main stadium with the Olympic rings. Yes. And we all thought, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, this isn't <laughs> official. This is just some like wild dream. But it seems like, you know, it could well happen within our lifetimes. I mean, Maybe yeah, soon. Possibly, possibly. I would like to see the reunification. Uh, I don't know if it will happen any anytime soon, but, uh, you know, what we can, when you visit a country, you get to know it better, you get somehow attached to it. So mm. that you really, you really care when you see the news, you know, and you hope everything will go in the right direction. So the right direction will be just the government ma- making a path of reforms, let, let, let's say, and then mm. step by step go towards reunification because it was like one country, one, one language, one culture. They were divided mm. by the Cold War, basically, yeah. after the war. So it's not, so it would be very, very nice, and I think the both sides would benefit. Yeah, it cannot happen instantly. It no. would be a tragedy otherwise. But maybe architecture can yeah. be uh, the medium through which they begin yeah, to, yeah. We to need collaborate to, and we, exchange. We need to keep showing to the to the world because uh, due to the isolation, they developed a very, very peculiar culture and arts. So this is very interesting and can be something uh, something we we have to show to the people. You know, know each other is the first like step mm. i think mm. so that's why i would invite more people to to go there and make artistic yeah. projects and buy like the books first yeah <laughs> your, your guides not? to have with you <laughs> great <laughs> why not that was a conversation between guardian architecture and design critic and author of inside north korea oliver wainwright and architect and co-author of model city pyongyang cristiano bianchi this has been thought starters recorded in the pod at white city place Thought Starters is a DNN Co. project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded and edited by Sean Crook. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at whitecityplace, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And please subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. Until next time.